And away we go. It is the BCJ podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com, brought to you as always by our good friends at the Holy Grail. We'll see you at the Grail Saturday night, 7 o'clock. Bearcats as they take on Tulsa. What's a, what's a, I don't understand the hurricane nickname in Oklahoma. Like, did they, did they relocate the university from somewhere? I don't, I don't know. I mean, we're called the Bearcats. I don't think there's a lot of Bearcats native to Southwest Ohio. True, but I mean, usually if you're named after like a weather pattern, the weather pattern is in your general area. Like the, the, the tornadoes would have made sense. Right. Uh, but yeah, the, the golden hurricane. And there's, I think it's singular. It's one of the few singular mascots. Right. Just a singular hurricane. So just one hurricane. Weird. I don't understand it. Seven o'clock though, Saturday night. How, how exciting! Can't oh. can't get a can't get a nip at night game, but you know, incredibly incredibly exciting to be the, heading to H A Chapman Stadium. I'm sure it will be a raucous crowd. Tens upon tens of rabid Tulsa fans there to. Uh, <laughs> cheer them on I did find something out interesting in my prep okay they are uh, I believe for the first time they're celebrating Oktoberfest as part of the game probably not a great idea considering Cincinnati's uh, work with Oktoberfest that, that might be a bad omen for them right like that's kind of our thing right Outside of uh, Germany, yeah, it's kind of our thing. Sounds sounds counterproductive. They're they're working very hard to get some fans <laughs> at the game. I can tell you that. Uh, what do they normally pull? Like, what's their uh, average I actually looked this up too, just because I was curious. They've had two home games: Jacksonville State and uh-huh. Northern Illinois. They. Uh, just over 22K for Northern Illinois and 17 and change for Jacksonville State. Things are going swimmingly uh, in Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, but let's I mean, put that's, a... Uh, that is like the smallest... Yeah. Enrollment. But somebody, like, somebody put up today that like their student, their, their student enrollment is smaller than UC's student section. Yeah. I mean, it's a very, very small private school, so... You know, that hasn't had a ton of football success, you know, anytime recently to, you know, build up a fan base. We'll, we'll, we'll get there uh, eventually in this podcast. Let's, uh, let's, let's close up our final thoughts on, on Indiana and, and all that. I know uh, as the numbers come out, you go back over things and have some different, uh, some different takes that you didn't have maybe on Sunday. So um, anything else that jumped out at you about the victory over Indiana that Indiana just shot themselves in the foot? Yeah, they were uh, – what, what are the things they 
They shot themselves in the foot. They were, what was the, the term? On, emo, yes, thank you, UCF superfan. They were emotion emotionally drained in the from, end. From, from narrowly escaping three shit opponents. Three home games. Uh, Illinois is not shit. Illinois is, I think, upper two, half two and middle a half of the shit Big opponents. Ten. Uh, Western's probably going to win the Conference USA, but I, I understand your... You should not be emotionally or physically or mentally drained. They Three. didn't play Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. Yeah, they did not do a, a Kent State schedule. Uh, right. So there, there's no reason to be any any which way drained. Uh, but yeah, you know, just shot themselves in the foot. Really just, you know, really felt like... And that is, that is something that I pride myself on hopefully never saying is if if and when UC loses I will hopefully never say you know basically just say like oh we we beat ourselves right it's such a I don't know it's like not ridiculous isn't the word but it's just such a BS cop out like like no kidding you have every team makes mistakes in a football game. Some of that are forced by the other team. Some that you make the mistake yourself. The other team did unforced errors. Like, but don't sit here and tell me when you're down 38, 10 at halftime that we just beat ourselves. <laughs> you were, you got your ass kicked. Like me, me thinks Connor Basilak took too many shots to the head. Yeah. I mean, what like I said on Twitter, whatever whatever helps you sleep at night. I mean, if that's that's the way you want to approach it, that's fine. Whatever. I mean, if they win a couple more games this year, they'll be lucky. So, but no, um, I mean, I really don't have a ton else. This is possibly my favorite part of Bearcat Brunch is I don't have to talk about the game four days, five days after it happened. So, um. Yeah, I mean, let's 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 talk about what everybody else wants to talk about. What does everybody else want to talk about? The run game. The run. What game. did you see in the run game? Was this um, was this an aberration because of the way Indiana was playing? The run numbers have been what I would say average to slightly above average coming into this game. They. Uh, I don't know. I think they. I would say they've been below average. Okay. Um, in yards per carrier, still all right, even with the Indiana game. Um, I guess I, I, my opinion hasn't really changed too much from Sunday morning. I think I still don't understand why they were so hell bent on stopping the run. To me, that is, and the, their players even talked about it. Cam Jones, their really good linebacker talked about it Monday about how they were like very committed to stopping the run and then made some adjustments in the second half to, to stop the pass more. And to me, that is just a lack of understanding what UC's offense was in the first three games that you were going to commit that many bodies to stopping yeah, the run. Like, what, it's one of the more perplexing game plans I've ever 
experience. I, I, what made them think like we're gonna we're gonna dedicate seven eight guys to the box and dare Ben Bryant to throw over top of us to Tyler Scott? I did not get it. I when I watched the game back Sunday morning, especially in the second half, which I kind of understand more in the second half because they were gonna play into the we're down. They're probably going to run the ball more. They're probably going to be a little less aggressive. So we're just going to play man, and we're going to commit seven guys every you know, every rundown situation. And if they come out and they, they still chuck it, then so be it. But we don't think they're going to do that. And UC didn't do that. They guessed and, right there, yeah. Right. But I'm trying to understand at the beginning of the game – why we're why they're playing four man lines with three linebackers, which they hardly ever did prior to Saturday. Why they're playing four and five man lines with a bare front, which is you know a, the a tackle over the nose or over the center, and it's essentially just, five down linemen. It just felt like such a odd way to to start the game when everything that you see has been through three games has been of an aggressive down the field passing attack. Yeah. So um, they need to block better, obviously. I mean, that's like the dumbest thing I could possibly say, (laughs) Um, but I give Indiana credit. Like they've had trouble missing tackles especially in the Western Kentucky game. I think they tackled the run game well. They just committed extra bodies. Like, they just put more people in the space. And UC didn't block it up good enough. Running backs didn't make plays on their own. Like, you can't put it all on the the line. Sometimes a running back's job is to – there's going to be an unblocked guy. Your job is to make him miss. And they didn't do that. Um, and that's, it's kind of where I stand. It's kind of not exact, not much different than what I saw and thought Sunday. Greg asked, why is Kiner not getting more carries? What are you missing? You're missing that Kiner had more carries against Indiana. Uh, there's 14 carries for Corey Kiner and nine carries for Charles McClellan. So, uh, I would say that would, that would be number one, uh, what you're missing. Uh, if you're talking about the Miami game, uh, we have we've discussed it here a little bit. He had a cut uh, on one of his fingers, uh, Kiner did, and with the fumble issues that they had had already in that game, uh, they didn't they didn't want the guy with the football uh, having a a sizable gash on his finger. Um. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, I think we're getting there with Corey. Too many beers at the game. I own that. All right. I, I love that. I love that. I love owning it. That's, you know, that's, that's, yeah. I just, I don't think I'm not, I'm not super concerned just from the sense of like, if somebody else is going to take that defensive approach, I feel like Luke and Gino, I don't want to say learned a lesson, but like, they're they're going to be like okay. You want to do that? We'll keep throwing. And right. 
And while they didn't stop throwing, the the formations and the concepts and just the general attack was not. Well, they kind of. The other thing, they kind of dared Indiana to play that front, right? Because they were in 12 personnel so much. Right. Like, they didn't spread them out. They said, we're going to pack it in. And Indiana said, okay, well, we'll do okay. that too. Yeah, we'll just commit seven guys inside and and you're not going to be able to block everybody. So, you know, it's just, it kind of is what it is. There, you know, there's plays here and there that could have got them out of that. You know, if you go down and score on that first drive, I mean, they played it about as perfectly as you could play it. I mean, you score, you get a defensive touchdown, and you get the ball back to start the second half. And they re- they really could have won touchdown 45-10, and it doesn't even matter what Indiana does. Right. So, and, you know, the, that first drive was, was moving a little bit too, and then they throw the interception. And it just kind of – everything kind of stalled out from that point on. Um it's kind of, I mean, that's kind of it from from that standpoint. Um, you know, I think it was a very good was a very good. I don't want to. Call, I'm not going to call it a warm up, but like it was a very good prequel to Tulsa. I think it was yeah. very nice to go against someone that wants to play with tempo and that wants to throw the ball. You know, so you know. You can never say like we're going to be totally prepared, but it, it is it is nice that you've you've felt in game speed like what it means to have to hurry up and get lined up, and how you maybe it can't sub as much as you'd want to, and you got to make sure that guys are attentive and ready to go if there is substitutions and, and stuff like that, so you don't get caught, you know, with your you know pants down so to speak, and right like they did on the one touchdown where just they were all out of whack alignment wise. Um, I don't know. I, I don't have a ton more to say about Indiana. Like uh, it, it was a nice little series. Um, they're not very good. No. I, I, and I, the more I watch them, the more I wonder, well, one, like if we're being, they're not very talented, Dave. No, and that's that was one thing. I you know, obviously your flaws get exposed even more when you're getting run off the field. But like without DJ Matthews, they had no speed on the outside that threatened UC. They are slow. Like that's the UC 2017 receiver room, right? Like- I think Cam Camper's a really solid receiver. I mean, he's one of the better receivers in the Big Ten, but he doesn't scare you. Like you're no. not worried about him running by you. Um, so without DJ Matthews, their running backs are like fine. Um, I, I guess the thing that caught me the most surprised, and it's been this way all year, like their DBs stink right now, and I just would not have expected that. So the white kid's gonna, supposed to be an All-American. Tylon Mullen, Tylon Mullen was an All-American his freshman year. <laughs> so. Tyler Scott yeah. said, "You belong. I'm your. You you call me dad now." Yeah, there's just after hosting him on his. Of, his yeah. Did you hear that? Taiwan Mullen was his his official visit host. I guess he didn't do a very good job. No, didn't get the job done. That's for sure. Um, T. Wen, did I find a solution for my neon sign? No, and I haven't had t- with everything with Kelly. I 
haven't had time to worry about the neon sign of late. Um, we'll get there. I think I have a solution. I just don't know how to execute it. So, um, 100 plays and average three yards a play. That's that's hard to do. Not great. It's hard to do. What what do you think of Ivan Pace playing 106 snaps? It's a lot. Hope he's ready to go this week. <laughs> we think Brian Threats. How telling Brian Threats played 105. Yeah. Snaps. <clears throat> do we have a top five receiver core in the country? <clears throat> I don't know if I go that far. Uh, I mean, that's that would take me some some serious time to like sit down and really look <laughs> from a from a national perspective. Um, I think what like what's weird about that is it's the field and the slot where they're getting their production primarily. Right, which usually means like on the same side. Right. They're like the boundary is, you know, is not uh as you know, and Martiner's done fine. Jaden Thompson's done fine, but they haven't been number one number one type guys. No. Holly, take a lap. Ten up downs. But ten up downs and a lap. And, uh, and, and it's forgiven. Uh, maybe top five speed. Look, man, you find me a wide receiver core with two guys as fast as Trey and Tyler. They might be the fastest wide receiver core in the country just because of those two. It, it definitely puts them up there. I mean, I mean that like Arkansas echoed that. Like we did not expect those two dudes to be that fast. And yeah. UC fans were like, oh, we told you. Like, you, you want to talk SEC speed, those two kids are as fast as anybody. Right. Now, maybe they're not 6'2", 6'3", while they're doing it, but they are both legit sub-4-3 guys. So, sure. Yeah. I, I, I won't disagree with top five fastest wide receiving cores in the country without doing a deep dive and, like, you know, having yeah. a, a real answer. I'll, I'll dabble in uh, prisoner of the moment. And say I find it hard to believe there's five more uh, receiving cores with two guys faster than Tyler and Trey. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a ton else on Indiana. I it, good to have a regional rivalry that, that pops up for a couple of years like that. And what Pitt starts next year? Yep. And Pitt is in a, a little bit better place right now. I would say than Indiana. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I just I again I replace Indiana with or replace Miami with Indiana. Why? Indiana's not gonna do that. Well, and <laughs> there's not that much difference between the two. No. If, if if Miami can go beat Northwestern, they certainly could have given that Indiana team a game. Yeah. They gave Cincinnati more of a game than Indiana did. I'll tell you that much. Um, I guess that gets us to uh to Tulsa. Living on Tulsa time. They legitimately like you you wanna you wanna talk about like one-sided rivalries where where one side considers it a rivalry and the other side like Cincinnati knows they exist. Like Tulsa has played them as physically and as tough as anybody over the past couple of years. Um, I don't think there's really much much argument to that, but uh, Tulsa genuinely like has a disdain for the Bearcats that I I think is pretty 
pretty funny. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, I love it. It's, yeah. it's pretty, it's pretty great to go from like the eighties where there was like legit conversation of stopping Cincinnati football to now being hated by, by programs. Yeah. <laughs> Which I relish. Like that's when you know you've made it when you're hated. By someone that like, you know, hasn't really beaten you. That... No, not not, mean, re- not recently. 2016. I mean the the reason why is so silly though. I mean the whole, you know, COVID stuff and Cincinnati not having any control over yeah, uh, the, I, the I, Tulsa president not wanting to play the game and claiming that, you know, their fans claiming that a top 10 team in the country was ducking them, which is wildly uh, lacking self-awareness. I mean, if they care that much, they'll pack the stadium and make it a hostile environment and do their best to help their team win. Okay, just, I'm, yeah. I try not to, all the stuff in the past, like, I just don't care. I don't even think about it. I don't even care. That's kind of bad for podcasting. What, all the stuff in the past? like No, just not talking about a, you know, a, a hot topic in the game that's from the, from the other side. They have nothing else to talk about then. <laughs> about, like, talk about your team. Your team's not terrible. Like, your team has weapons and assets that can give UC problems on Saturday. What's the point in talking about who canceled a game or what happened during a COVID year? They, that's what they're, that's what they're about. Exactly. Like, uh, let's start on Tulsa offense. Uh, they throw it a lot this year. Well, Uh, yeah. The the biggest question is Davis Brin's availability. Yeah. And what was, was it? An ankle? He a foot, ankle, his right foot, right ankle, his, his push off foot. Um, I don't know what specifically. Um, he's he's had a very very productive year so far. I mean, he's one of the leaders in the country in passing yards, and that's with missing roughly half of the Ole Miss game. Uh, you know, 12 touchdowns to only one interception, 10 yards per attempt. So that's top 12-ish in the country. He's got four, you know, very, very, you know, what I would call very, very good to very, very capable wide receiver weapons. Um, but it'll be interesting because, like, if he's not available – I wonder if they revert to kind of their old game plans against UC because his backup. I, I wonder if they do that if he is available. Well, like I mean, they right. run the ball successfully against Cincinnati. They've been a, they have not been a very good running team so far on the season. Um, but if he is available, he's going to be compromised. So, how much do you want him dropping back? How much do you want him? having to move around things, things of that nature. So, right. Do they, do they revert back to that? I know that uh, they've had a kind of a mismatched offensive line. I don't think in the first four games they've had what they would call 
all of their starters together. I don't know if that's a continuation to this game or if maybe just, you know, someone is out for the year. I, I'm not sure. Um, but they are, I mean, they're going to throw it and they have the receivers to. Yeah, Santana's really good. Well, Keelan Stokes is their, is their guy. I know. I like Santana. Like he, he's he there. Kinda... Juan Carlos Santana is their deep threat. He's averaging 21 yards a catch. But Keelan Stokes is kind of the guy that's been there. He's already got over 500 yards, three touchdowns. And then they've got a couple other guys, Malachi Jones and Isaiah Epps, who transferred in from Kentucky. Who's I mean, He's got four touchdowns. He's scored in, in each of the last three games. So, you know, Arquan's availability, just the overall inexperience of the defensive backs. They were not tested at all against Kennesaw State. They really weren't tested that much after the first drive against Miami because of Miami just doesn't have a receiving group anywhere near Tulsa's, and the quarterback is much more of a runner, you know, than than a thrower. And I mean, these these are going to be the best receivers UC's faced this year. Uh, you know, Arkansas, I think, has some headlines to them, but I think these guys, with being in the offense, with having a veteran quarterback, having you know a, a, a scheme that they are that they know these these are these guys will challenge UC's new secondary more than anybody has to this point. So, you know, how much pressure can we get? They're not great pass protection. They've given up 10 sacks, I think, which is the same number as you see with that. So that's good for 91st. Um, third down, they're okay. They're you know, a little bit better than average. But, you know, rushing four, barely over four yards of carry. That's 87th in the country. They've got the Steven Anderson guy that fumbled last year that's like 6'2", 260. And then a couple younger, new new guys that are, are you know getting acclimated. And I think one's a true freshman, one's a JUCO. So this is their first go at at this type of type of football. And you know, they got down 35-17 at half to Ole Miss and then shut them out in the second half and came back with their backup quarterback who was uh Nine for twenty-two. He's def. He's definitely more of a, a runner. Big kid, six three, two twenty. Was highly rated for twenty-four-seven, uh, but did not have top-line offers. And I just wonder if that's because he was like the the, 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 the prototypical like best athlete on the team. So we're going to put him at quarterback, and he's just going to run and throw it to guys that are wide open. And he had offers from like Coastal, Memphis, Marshall. Um, so if he goes, do they do a lot more run? Do they do a lot more RPO? Just it'll be interesting. I think their game plans can change drastically depending on who is at quarterback. Uh, who's starting if Bush can't go? Uh, I would assume it's uh, Harris, Justin, Justin Harris. Um, he's just that. That's he's been on the field side. JQ got a couple snaps over there. I thought he looks much more comfortable when he's gotten in on the boundary. That just seems to be like, you know, it's a little bit more physical, a little bit more 
handsy at the point of attack where on the field side you're generally in off coverage. Um, and that doesn't seem like at least at least yet uh, something JQ is is wildly comfortable with. I think he's used to getting up there and jamming guys and, and being physical. Um, so probably Justin, if not Justin, uh, Todd Bumpus uh, is, is in that mix as well. But I'd be I'd be pretty surprised if Bush can't go. Um, I mean, it's going to depend on you know how he gets through this week and and whether it barks at him or not. Um, but my guess is we see Bush, and if not, it'll be it'll be probably either Harris or or Bumpus, um, just because JQ is much more used to the the physicality and the style of play uh, on the other side. Right. And hi, JQ. Hey, nobody. But um, I mean, you see, it, we had you see we had Shaman popped in on Monday. Oh, did he? Yeah, he said hi to Royer. Like, <laughs> hey, Chad. Hey, Royer. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, but it is it's an interesting contrast because we talked about coming into the season, you know, with the without Sauce, without Kobe, without Cook. Like, how was the defense from a pass game standpoint? Going to come around, would it take a while? You know, Arkansas, Indiana, two passing offenses we felt could challenge in the first couple of weeks. And the defense is, is held up in the pass game. I mean, they are sixth nationally in completion percentage allowed at just over 50%, 50.8%. Uh, yards per attempt, they're 15th, 5.7%. And opposing QB rating, they're twenty third. Yeah. So they've they've held up. They've done, and you know, a pretty Indiana threw it. Oh, Indiana did. I mean, they didn't try to throw it down the field, but they threw it. Uh, these guys will try to throw it down the field. Yeah. Uh, so that's you know, it's a different a different thing. Uh, so it'll be it'll be a lot on the linebackers, a lot on the defensive line to get pressure. And you know, this is the type of game, like, we know what they're going to try to do, more than likely. And do you have the horses? I still, I, it's like, I, I just have a hard time believing they did one thing to so well that frustrated Cincinnati as much as anybody the past two years, and they're just not going to run? They're just not going to try to run at that, that three-man front, Dave? Well, I mean... I know, like, I know, I get passing is what they have done this year. Like, I get that is, has, has been somewhat, like, defined their identity in 2022. But I I just, like, if, if, if you've done something that works against somebody two years in a row, you just abandon it? Like, you just, you just don't do it? Like, that, doesn't that seem... I don't think they have the backs they did the last couple of years. They don't have the line they did. They don't did. have the line... At least to this point, I mean, they've talked about they ran the ball better against Ole Miss. But um, Ole Miss was up big and probably like, so it's they're playing, you know, playing off. They're maybe rounding that into shape. So maybe they, uh, maybe they do then go. But I just you got four wide receivers and a pretty darn good quarterback, and you're just going to take it out of their hands. I, I just not. I'm not sold. I don't, I don't, 
I don't know why. I mean, yes, you have the pre- past two years that tell you like, this is how we can, this is how we've stayed close. This is how we can beat them. But then you also, how much of that was the fact of going up against Sauce and Kobe? Sure. Where now you're like, well, we can try to throw to one side of the field now. Yeah. We can try to throw to either side of the field. Right. But I mean, like, you, teams weren't even thinking about the one side. Well, so were, were you running the ball more because you were like, great, we've got all these good receivers, but this dude's going to shut whoever we put out there down. So let's not even waste our time. Let's just run at him. You know, Tyler Smith is starting for the Cowboys. I believe Chris Paul was is maybe in the league I, i'm not he's still, with, he's still with the Suns, isn't he yeah uh-huh but uh hopefully he doesn't nut check anybody on the field but i wouldn't put it past i wouldn't put it past these guys um but yeah their line i think is is still kind of rounding into form they did run it better i mean they had two guys over 70 something yards against old mess so maybe they do but I mean, with UC's revamp secondary, and if Davis Brim plays, I would be floored if they didn't come out throwing. I know. I just and say, and say prove that these guys are that good. Prove to us that these guys are as good as the last guys. How have they been at protecting Brim? Given as much as they've thrown, they've given up ten sacks, ninety for. I mean, not anything crazy. Given up, you know, they're 47th in tackles for loss allowed, which you see is top five in the country. So when you have the number one tackle for loss guy in the country, that helps your numbers. It does. Um, but yeah, offense. I mean, they're <laughs> you see an old miss kind of line up very similarly in a lot of the metrics. A lot of the advanced analytics that I use, um, as far as like SP plus, FPI, Stagger, and all those things, they're kind of Ole Miss is typically five to ten spots ahead of UC in in those things. Um, SP plus is not big on Tulsa, seventy fourth overall, forty eight offense, ninety fifth defense. So I mean, you're talking about a defense not as good as Indiana's per SP plus in the same vein as a Miami, you know, they're about 10 spots or so FPI 68 Sagarin likes them more 58, but like Massey 67th and then FEI, which is opponent adjusted efficiency 72. So they are a 131 teams in division one. I mean, they're about as middle of the road to slightly below average in those, in those stats as you can get. Right. So they're not awful playing at home. You know, they're going to be fired up. They've got weapons. So, like, I'm not – like, UC doesn't play a good game. They can absolutely lose. Well, they also <clears> – it <throat> brings into question. But we haven't talked about their defense yet. I know. We're going to get to it in a second. <laughs> the one thing – maybe what I worry about most in this game, Dave, and that's this team away from Nippert Stadium. Yeah, I mean, not, not clean. Like we've only had one been. one real road game, and they weren't clean in the 
at the beginning of the pseudo road game either. Right. That is that worries me a little bit because you know Kennesaw State they they did whatever they wanted. They were just the better team. But at home, we know this team is phenomenal. On the road, it's been a little bit of a different story. And we already saw on one occasion that they couldn't, even though they were at least as good as Arkansas, they couldn't close it out. They couldn't get over the hump and, and get the lead and, and put the game away. And Miami, Miami hung around for far too long. So I think that, along with, you know, a, a potent Tulsa offense, has me more concerned than I probably should be. Is that fair? Well, yeah. I mean, it's just like any, whether you're talking about a position group or a player, like you need to see it. You can't just assume. Like what we've seen so far is a slow start at Arkansas and a slow start versus Miami. So where have we, where has, where have they grown since Arkansas, since Miami from a preparation standpoint, from a comfort standpoint with new offensive linemen meshing together with play calling, what we like, what we don't like, you know, the, the scripted, the first 15 is always crucial. Um, you know, what Ben likes now is probably different than what Ben liked going into Arkansas. Right. I think he likes throwing the ball to Tyler Scott. I would too. I would too. Um, you know, and just environment, you know, is going on the road trip like this where, you know, it's it's kind of nondescript. You understand that it's, it's not going to be Arkansas type atmosphere are you are you is there a malaise or are you like very business oriented like let's just get in we know we're, we're better we know we have more talent let's get in let's do our job and get out you would think maybe that's where having a bad second half against indiana would help them right because right because they're like we we know we can't do that again because we're going right. on the road and this team is is very i mean from a number standpoint I don't know what Indiana exactly jumps or moves to uh, after last week, but I mean, some of these numbers are almost identical. Like they're they're very similar analytically, such as well, just like Indiana coming into last week was sixty second in Massey and Tulsa sixty seventh. Indiana was 69th in Sagar and Tulsa's 58th. Indiana was 79th in FPI, Tulsa's 68. So, I mean, they're they're right in there for better, you know, better, worse, five spots, ten spots, whatever. That is the you know overall body of work efficiency of of the team. So, yeah, I, right, I think so that, let's, let's take a look at their defense. It's not great. They've, you know, Wyoming, 
I'm going to throw out their Jacksonville State game just like we throw out Kennesaw. Kennesaw. Like Wyoming and Northern Illinois, both quarterbacks had pretty solid games. And the Northern Illinois one jumps out to me because their quarterback's Rocky Lombardi, who was a pretty highly recruited guy, started at Michigan State, but just not a great passer. Like he's mm-hmm. athletic and he can run, but he's not a super – Super passer, like, a, you know, accuracy, touch, things of that nature. And he had a pretty good game. Both teams put up over 30. And, you know, their pass defense rating is 89th nationally. Miami's is 90th. Indiana's 106. So you're going up against a very similar pass defense. Uh, they've allowed 7.4 yards per attempt, which is 83rd. Um, so I think, you know, they don't pressure the quarterback. They have four sacks, 115th nationally. Third down defense, 84th. Tackles for loss, 79th. So it's not it's not a great pass defense. I think their run, their run defense is... I look at yards per carry, 98th nationally, 4.49 they're giving up. I think those numbers are a little skewed because Ole Miss all of a sudden is like a much more run-heavy team. I did not see that coming. They brought in Jackson Dart from USC. He ran the ball 13 times for 116, and then their running backs had 37 carries for 188 and three touchdowns. So they ran for like, over 300 yards, and that skewed their numbers a little bit. They didn't do a bad job stopping the run against Wyoming and Northern Illinois. But I think UC is more talented on the lines and in the backfield than both those teams. But they, like we talked about, you got to also block it up. Right. So, I mean, I think it's going to be another passing, passing attack for the Bearcats. But could be a chance to get the run game going a little bit for sure and they should they should try i mean that's the thing it's like so if you're tulsa if you're tulsa are you going they didn't run the ball good and we know what luke is so he's going to want to establish the run so let's worry about the run or do you say like they sliced and diced indiana because indiana was too worried about the run it's it's kind of you know, it works in UC's favor that they are that they have a mindset that they want to run it, but that they're a passing team. Because I think it makes it hard to game plan for them. Is it inevitable that we're gonna see for most of the rest of the way a bunch of two high safeties? I mean, if the teams can have two safeties that they can play. Like, yeah, I mean, you're just gonna let Tyler Scott keep running by you. <laughs> But you also have to play that, know how to play that defense. And if you're going to do that, you're leaving the middle open for Trey Tucker and the tight ends. Yeah, that's where I was going to go next is this will be where it's interesting to see if that adjustment is made and teams are going to try to start doing more to take away the shots then everybody asking for the tight ends more might get their wish because so far I think Ben has done just a really good job of 
throwing it to who's open. Right. And if you're if you're gonna play too high and you're gonna bail, you better be able to run the ball. Yeah. So you know, no no one on their defense jumps out from a stats standpoint. I mean, with only four team sacks, no one's gonna have more than one. You know, that they're right. leading tack they're leading tacklers or safeties and linebackers. Uh, which says yeah. teams are running the ball successfully against them. They just don't like Jackson player transferring hurts them a ton. I don't think their awesome. their defensive line just is not. It's like I said. I mean, they're not. They're not a havoc defensive line. They're not a playing on the other side of the line of scrimmage defensive line to date. Right. Um, so will they pressure more than they normally do? That then leaves them vulnerable on the back end. You know, so it's, you know, they're just not, the defense isn't, the, it's going to be about Davis Brin and our DBs versus their wide receivers. I don't think they're going to really slow down UC's offense. I mean, nobody really has. Um, as long as they don't slow down themselves. Right. I mean, that's right. You have turnovers, you have penalties, you know, throw the ball or hand the ball to the other team or or put yourself in a bunch of first and 15s and second and longs, then it's a lot easier for a, a not great defense to do good things because you've really limited what you're able to do. And this is also a team that if you do make a costly mistake, they will try to hurt you deep. Like they will try to 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 go after you, and I don't sure. think we really saw that from Indiana, Miami, or Arkansas. I mean, Miami got ten points off of the the turnovers, but um, I didn't feel like you know it feels like Tulsa has that ability. Like if you turn it over at your forty, your own forty six, they're going to try to go up top and put six on you real quick. Right. I mean, they have they have the guys on the outside. It'll be. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how we, how we defend it. You know, do you try to get, you know, do you, are we doing more drop coverage, trying to keep things in front? Are we only trying to get home with our down three or are we just, are we looking at Davis Brin as like a wounded animal in the, if he plays in the pocket, you know, knowing that he's not going to escape. He's, he's already hurting, you know, put as much pressure on him as you can. How good is their center? I, I don't know. Because <laughs> I think that's going to be a necessary question to ask throughout the season. Yeah. Because as we saw against Indiana, if your center is not good, Dante, you're in a world Dante of will, trouble. will fold you up like a 1980s lawn chair. They are giving I don't know money. how that dude from Indiana still has knees. I mean, I mean he, he, he did a he, tried he did a back anchor. bend. He tried to anchor and yeah, just got he, folded. He, he 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 like jump stopped, set his feet, and did a uh, a back bend that I saw from my daughter when she was in uh, six year old tumbling. I sent that video to my buddies, and they were like, "Oh, I bet they watched that a couple times in film." <laughs> he is, my goodness, he's something else. But yeah, I mean, 
I would heat him up. I would try. I mean, I would just if you're if you're injured, I'm not gonna let you just sit back there. If I know you're not gonna run, I I can't just let you sit back there and wait for somebody to get open. Right. Um, I mean they've got good receivers, so maybe that, that bites you, but you know good receivers against inexp- you know, relatively inexperienced corners, you can't give a guy time. Someone's gonna get open. Like right. we've seen it, like college. And he's football, completing a pretty damn good percentage, isn't he? Sixty something means sixty-three. Okay. That's fine. So it's fine. It's not yeah. like holy shit. It's better, it's, it's better than fifty-two though. But, but who's fifty-two? Uh Basilak. You're no, you're giving him some percentage points. <laughs> well, that's right? what he was coming into the game, I think. Oh, was he? I think so. But no, it's it's funny. <laughs> It's funny how the first half of the Arkansas game, Ben did not have a, a very good half. And then he's like leaps and bounds more accurate than basically every quarterback you see plays. Yeah. With that terrible first half. <laughs> <laughs> and a not great second half against oh, no. Indiana. No, it was not, not great there either. Um, he didn't really throw it enough to like do significant damage to his percentages. No, but he, um, but yeah, it's, it's just, this just comes down to their offense. How much can we slow him down? And Davis Brin's availability. Like if he can't play, they have no shot. Like it could get ugly. Cause right. the, I mean, the kid, the other kids t- took no snaps last year and he was not terrible against Ole Miss. I mean, he led him back and cut the lead to seven or whatever it was with pretty much the whole fourth quarter to go. But, I mean, if you're nine for 22 for 80-something yards, this defense is going to confuse the hell out of you. And it's going to be very hard to imagine that, that he's going to pass the ball the way that Davis Bring can, that the playbook is as big as it is for Davis Bring. Against this type of a defense. Right. Have you found any update on Davis Brin? Day day to day. Um there was there was one article that had a very like leading headline talking, you know, if he doesn't play this week, you know, he might play next week. It doesn't sound like it's serious, but nothing I you know, I watched Philip Montgomery's press conference. He didn't, I mean, no, no, nothing that I could allude to as being one way or the other. I'm going to assume he plays. Yeah. Um, but I also heard that the injury, like that it was like, it was pretty bad that um, he, of course, you know, he wanted to come back at no kidding. Like what players like, nah, I don't feel like going the rest of today. In a game against a ranked oh, SEC yeah. opponent, right. yeah. Um, but you know they're not, you know, court. They're not going to put him out there if it can get worse, right? So like if it's a if it's a let's call it a let's call it a, a, a pretty severe, you know, ankle sprain. Well, you know, that's practically like a break. So he's not going to play if it's like a, the old high ankle sprain. Like that, he's not going to play if that's the case. Right. 
if it's not that bad, maybe he tries to tape it up or shoot him up and he tries to gut it out. But I wouldn't want to be a quarterback that can't move at all against this defense. When my especially my back foot that I'm planting on and driving off of, that would be that would be a hard go, I think. Have you heard anything on in, an injury to Keelon Stokes? He had a nasty hit in that game. Um, I, I'm guessing it was targeting, um, but I think he came back in. Okay. So if he did, then I wouldn't. I would assume that he's playing. There was no comment about him, his availability, in anything that I've listened to or seen. So that would lead me to believe that he did come back in and that he would be playing. If he's not um, playing, Davis Brin isn't playing. I mean, Jesus, those are two two, <laughs> best, two best players. Uh, Stephen is also listing himself as day to day. Yeah, I'm I'm questionable every time I wake up. I'm questionable every time I go to sleep. It's questionable for the day, <laughs> right? Like, am, is he going to wake up tomorrow? Questionable. Questionable. Morbid, but it is what it is. Um, all right. Well, how do you think this one's going to play out, Dave? I mean, talent-wise, top to bottom, UC has a much, much better roster. But we know what this game has been the last two times they've played in Cincinnati. Um, we know that we don't know exactly what to expect from this team in a road game in conference where it's not going to be SEC. It's easy to get up for that game. Now, they didn't handle the beginning of it as well as they probably would have liked. And playing Miami and Paul Brown is not a road game. So we don't know how they're going to respond to a team that will, is going to give them, I mean, Philip Montgomery mentioned it numerous times. You know, these guys have not lost a conference game since 2019. Right. Everybody is going to want to say, like, we ended the streak or they're leaving and we were the team that beat them. So how does this group with a different group of leaders and veterans how do they handle things it, when maybe things don't aren't going great? Where before you had Dez and Kobe and Brian Cook, like you had some really, really, really heady, experienced, been in the wars type veterans. Like how does this group handle that? They seem to handle it well in the second half against Arkansas, but didn't didn't get it all the way back, didn't get it all the way done. Right. So that doesn't necessarily worry me, but it's just an unanswered question because we just haven't been in that situation yet this season. Um, I think the defense will do enough, and I don't think they can stop our offense, but I still think it will be, I'm not going to say like closer than the experts think, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like 34-24, 34-27, Something in that vein. Yeah, you know, the spread's nine and a half. So I mean, if I say it's a ten or seven point win, that's not 
that's not that far off. I do not think it's, you know, I would be more surprised if, like, I'd be more surprised if UC blew them out than if UC lost. I think I'm in that boat. I think I'm in that boat. Like, I, I don't feel like this is a three-score win. Like, it just doesn't. Tulsa has played Cincinnati too tough. Um, even if it's not a matter of them, like, running the ball a lot, I think they have uh, done a much better job than anyone else, especially in the American, of matching Cincinnati's physicality, right? Yeah, like, they're they're not, like – they're there for the fight. They are the opposite of SMU. Yes. Now maybe they don't have the the dogs right to last all 60 minutes, but they are there for the fight. At least they have been. And like I said, man, I, I worry about this team on the road as they grow. Like as they go through these growing pains and learning processes. I like I I said back when we did the thing, the, the, the preview, like October scares the shit out of me because you've got at Tulsa, at SMU, at UCF, and it, it just it's one of the harder things as a team, like even that team last year with all of their experience and all of their talent and all of what was on the line every time they went out there, they still weren't great on the road, Dave. No, but I mean, that's, you're talking about college kids and yeah, and you just never know. And that's, that's kind of like the reason that I just, and we've talked about this for years is like, I will never, there's always things that we can come on here and talk about and critique and, and Monday morning quarterback or, you know, discuss, evaluate. Right. Because that's just fun to do, and that's what we like to do, and that's what fans like to do. But, like, I will never just take for granted the winning. Right. I will never just be – not be good – not be okay with just winning. Win by one and get on a plane. <laughs> I mean, nobody gives a shit how you do it. Except for last year. Well, last year was an, an interesting set of circumstances. Right. I'm just and, saying. There, and moving, there forward, are exceptions. You know, moving forward, you won't have to worry about that. Right. You know, so, moving, moving forward, win all your games or win your conference, you're going to the playoff. Right. Go 11 and 1 and win your conference championship game, you're in. You ain't got to so worry like, about trauma. You know, and, and I just kind of think about it too in the sense of like, UC is now. To a point of, and it's, it part of it makes me laugh because I'm like, some of some of these expectations are just totally out of line, but then part of me goes like, okay, but this is also what we want. Like we're now to the point of, I'm not talking about success or program or any of these things, but like, right. We're at the point of like an Alabama. We're at the point of an Ohio State. We're at the point of a Georgia where it's like, yeah, we had a bunch of guys go to the league. Who gives a crap? Still win all your games. You know, that's what I, I heard nonstop today listening to stuff 
from from Tulsa about you know they had nine guys drafted. There's no way they can can be as good. And I'm like, uh, my standpoint is, yeah, we can, we can and we should expect to be. That's the point of a good program. Like Ohio State and Georgia and Alabama and Clemson, they don't ever go well. You know, this year we had nine guys drafted, so. You know, this year right. could just be, you know, we'll be happy to go to a bowl. We're going to take this year off. We're going to go seven and five this year. Take this yeah. year off. We'll I mean, be back we had next our year. starting quarterback got drafted and our best defensive back got drafted. I mean, we'll be lucky to win five games. Right. Like, yes, you have to, you have to, you know, be realistic and understand that it might be, it might not be a, a season on that level, but. I don't think it's unfair or unreasonable to say like given the current situation, given the conference, given the recruiting, given the player, given the player development, like, yeah, we should go to Tulsa and win. I don't care if they had nine guys drafted or, you know, or who are who those guys were and what other seniors are gone. Like go to Tulsa and win by one by 50. I don't care. Right. Um. All right. So you got the Bearcats by a score. Roughly. Yeah, I think yeah, seven to ten, something in that range. A score plus. How's that? Yeah. A score in the hook. <laughs> yeah. What? What'd you say? Thirty. Thirty-five. Thirty. Third. We'll do well. Yeah, because if I to, to do thirty-four, that means we'd have to. Two field goals. Yeah, I'm not, I'm four not. touchdown and two field goals. Ryan Coe's been really good since. He has, but I, I, it goes against my own philosophy. So you don't kick field goals. No, I do not. Uh, we'll go. We'll go 35-27. Okay. They have a nice kicker, so I think maybe they'll get a couple field goals. What's What's the Simone plan for for Saturday night? Oh, I'll be watching at home by myself. All All by yourself? No, well, Will, I mean, no. Will and and Rachel will be here, but. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not even going to the the night games. I prefer to to watch on my own. Okay. No, no holy grail for Dave. We did that once. If you don't know, you don't want to know. <laughs> no. Um, I, I want to get into something I talked with with Lance about tonight. I, I was on LW tonight for their. The roundtable show. I'm on every other week, a rotating basis with our our buddy Justin Williams. Um, one question we had coming into this season: Where was the star power going to come from? With so many stars leaving, right? Who was going to be next? Who was going to surge to the head of the class? And we had ideas: Deshaun Pace, the tight ends. You know, uh, maybe Malik, maybe Jabari. Uh, it has been unequivocally two guys. Is that fair? Yeah, I've been Pace and Tyler Scott. Yeah. Have you been surprised that those two guys, through four games, are two of the best in the country at their position and maybe on their side of the ball? I mean, best in the country, sure. I don't think you could could project, you know, best in the country. 
So yes, that would be that would be a surprise. Ivan Pace won the the Besneric, uh honor distinction this week of National Defensive Player of the Week. Uh, big game sooner. Who loves to rate things? That's their. That's their they do. They rated Tyler Scott the number one wide receiver in the country last week. Well, he, I, had, he had to. Who had a? I don't think anybody had a better game. <laughs> right <laughs> against an all-American that he made look bad. Yeah. Um. I think we both anticipated that those two guys would be really good, but my goodness, like Tyler Scott, his his route running is stunning. The way yeah, that he is abusing defenses with his route running is stunning. And I don't even know. I mean, I would have loved to have been able to ask him, like, I his 75-yard touchdown, I don't even think he set him up that great. Well, like, here's where I'll disagree. He set him up for what he did on the third touchdown. No, I just mean on that route. He didn't give uh, that hard of an out. But he gave that just just a flinch that he was going to do that, what he did on the third touchdown. Well, yeah. And I think that's what Mullen – because a guy that fast, like if you don't – it's 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 tenths, it's hundredths of a second. And oh, he just yeah. gave him that one quick, like, I'm going to dig – he definitely bailed inside. Yeah. Uh, and then came up poor, poor tackling, and Tyler spun him, and you know, the safety may as well not have been on the field. Well, but I'm talking about the first touchdown. He gave the 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 yeah, appearance the the, that he was going to do the out and just hit the post. Right, but I'm I'm saying like I didn't even think his his out setup was that great. Like he yeah, yeah but it. But when you're was, that fast, that's all it takes. Right. It's clearly good enough. But I bet he would say, like, he could have sold it a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's – no one – they're not playing anybody the rest of the year that can cover him. So Dan, that, Daniel you know, says uh, Tyler Scott will go down as the greatest receiver in school history. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to slow down on that one. He's a redshirt sophomore. Right. Who's the greatest receiver in school history? Uh, Jim Kelly. Okay. I don't know. Is he? I, I think you would, one would one would lean towards what Marty. Or... I mean, personally, Dominic Goodman is is to to me like the best receiver him and him and Marty would be like one a one B of guys that I've actually seen play in the quote unquote modern era of college. Chris Moore not up there. Yeah. Chris Moore was pretty damn good. He was, but good. Maybe a little shorter window. Goody and and Marty were. Goody was just automatic for different reasons. Right. I mean, like Marty was the, the game breaking dude, the the big play guy, and you know, great, you know, he's an awesome receiver, and then also a great kick returner. Goody was just like he was like the quintessential bearcat when things started really, really going. 
And you could, he, he was just automatic. Yeah. Well, that's also because he had hands the size of like, like a, a giant fly swatters. Like, yes. like shaking that dude's hand was wild. But if the if offenses are going to keep progressing and UC is going to be this kind of an offense, like Tyler Scott's definitely going to put up numbers, right? He's he's not going to put up Shaq Washington catch numbers. No, but because there's too put, many other. He's going to put up yards and touchdowns and and yards per reception and, and things of that nature. Yeah, um, so he's definitely. I mean. He has all the ability to be up there. He yeah. does. It, it has been real, like, to, and again, I like the thing I've always talked about. It's unbelievable that that kid didn't grow up playing receiver. He grew up as a running back. So when he got here, he had to start from scratch, essentially, as a wide receiver. And in three years to go from where he started to now where he's at, Holy crap. Like that's that's impressive work. Like that's that's him and Trey pushing each other and getting out there and like doing everything they do in the summer and in the off season to push and make each other better outside of even what happens at UC like I, and everybody knows like Tyler's one of my favorite kids on this team. Just an incredible kid. And to see this like happening for him Especially when we both, like last year, going into the season, were like, I don't know if it's this year or not, but this kid is different. Like, he does things that I haven't seen anybody do here in a long time, and he just continues to get better, man. He's so impressive. And Ivan Pace. <laughs> I, it's it's comical how good he is. I mean, it's it's gotten it's like it's ridiculous to just expect like double digit tackles, multiple tackles for loss in a sack every game. What do you have eight against Miami? And it was like, what are we even doing, Ivan? No, were you even trying? <laughs> Here's the funny thing about Ivan: our team's going to be able to like run away from him or go away from him because I don't think you can. Well, I don't know if you can because, and I, you know, I probably need to study, you know, if I had the, t the time, truly go back and study him on, like, every play. I would I would like to do that if I had the time. Um, but it seems that they are just letting him go. Like, he is attacking. He is a f a going forward on almost, seems like, every play. Right. Instead, you know, middle linebacker is a, you know, reading, reacting, watching the guard, seeing how they, he is going. Almost for better or worse. And through, th through four games, it's been pretty much all for better. Well, he'll, you'll see him kind of stand there for a second and get a sense and then. Right. But like, he's not like, he isn't three yards four yards off the ball, like getting off a block and right. making a tackle four yards downfield. Like 
he is going forward, contacting a blocker, you know, getting off the block and making plays at the line one yard in the backfield. Type. Like, it's just been interesting that they almost just seem to be like, just go get the ball. Like, we don't yeah. care. Like, we've got other guys. Just be a head, just be a headhunter base. Not like in a illegal right, way, right, but like, right. just go, go find the ball, go do what you want to do. Go get the ball. Whether it's the quarterback, whether it's the running back, like be aggressive, be moving forward. We're not going to sit here and, and have them come to us. How maybe, um, how much credit do you give fickle that they quickly midstream? He's our middle linebacker. Like, Let's let's not. Will Huber was excellent at, at will. Let's put him back there, and and we're gonna put Ivan on the field every down in the middle of the defense. Well, it, it makes it makes sense. It's kind of funny, sure, because like, but like, so you got these two behemoths at nose, and then you got this short little guy at middle. Like, I wonder if like teams yeah. can't find him. I think that's a, an interesting question. I think it's an interesting question. Like I know they can find him because he's been all over the place and he's been awesome. So they're they're not he's not going without recognition. Well, it's like a it's like one of those five six running backs, right? That like but like look at his look bit. at his sacks against Indiana. Like they were plays where he kind of like you said waited a a, a second and then just like took off and it was like. Oh shit! Like we we can't block him because we're right. these other guys are already tied up, um, and he just you know chased down Basilek a couple times. Yeah, yes, Ed, uh, you know the great philosopher has left us. Uh, I'm I'm very sad. I, I will be listening to Gangsters Paradise tonight. Rest in peace, Coolio. Rest in peace. Uh, Jeffrey said you can when you subscribe, Ed. You see that little uh, that little notification there by Jeffrey's name? That means he's a <laughs> subscriber to the channel. Subscribers to the channel get preference. They get priority uh, in asking questions. <laughs> but I mean, if you're if you're Cincinnati, you got to feel pretty good. You lost nine guys to the NFL, and you're through four games. You got two guys already emerging that appear to be two of the best players in the country at their position. Yeah. That's that's what you're talking about earlier. I don't care that we lost nine guys to the NFL. We got other dudes that are going to step up and fill the gaps and and get us back to where we want to be. And, like, if you look at, like, they did that from 2008 to 2009, right, because they lost Mickens and they lost Barwin – and lost some guys in 2008, and they came right back in 2009 and were ready to go. But those were a lot of guys that starred on that 2018, right? This is – Tyler Scott was a complimentary player, I would say, last year. A really good complimentary player. Right. But a complimentary player. And Ivan Pace was, was at Miami. So – I don't know. I, I just, that's something that stood out to me. And I, as I was answering a question with Lance today, that was like, wow, like that is one of the true signs of like reloading, right? Rebuilding 
you have to start over and build up those guys for another year or two before they become stars. And when you reload, you just have some dudes that are ready and to step in and take over major roles. Yeah, I mean, Tyler Scott has 26 receptions this year. He had 26 receptions last year. He has five touchdowns this year, five touchdowns last year. So he's every 5.2 catches, he's scoring a touchdown. Mm-hmm. So you should probably throw him the ball 15 times a game. Right. So he'll score three touchdowns. I think that's, you know, I think that's a good plan. How about him <laughs> equating, how about him equating in the press conference um, targets to drops? As in, I dropped five balls. No, you didn't drop five balls. You had 15 targets and 10 catches. Um, but he genuinely believes if it's thrown my way and I don't catch it, that's a drop. Like that's, that's holding yourself to a pretty damn high standard, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah. Cause I think a couple of those, I don't disagree with them on. I mean, the DB might've made a good play to get it out of there, but I think you should on two of the slants, one in, I want to say one in each half, you probably should have had them or maybe it was the third and fourth quarter. I don't remember, but. Yeah, but I, I, I want a guy. Like, I laughed when he said it initially. He was like, no, man, you didn't have five drops. You had five targets that you didn't catch. But then the more you think about it, like, that's just, you know, that's a little insight into Tyler Scott and why he's a perfectionist, why he's probably become as good of a route runner as he's become. And the other thing I'll say on that receiving room, I know we've talked about this a little in the past, Hiring Mike Brown was a holy crap hire looking back at it. They've all, you know, they've all definitely progressed and developed and grown year over year. And I think that's kind of like in doing some some finishing touches on Indiana and just everything with that. I think that is a lot of, it seems like a lot of their fan base's concern is that not the guys are necessarily getting worse, but like time we use Taiwan Mullen as an example. Had a really, really good freshman season and then it's just kind of been a guy since then. Right. Last year and this year. Like it's one thing to, to recruit. It's one thing to get guys, but like are you make are guys getting better year over year? Right. That's how you can that's how you continue success on a UC level is the new guys that are stepping into more advanced higher snap count roles they're better you know, they're getting better than the guys that they're replacing right you're not just replacing them with the same thing or you're not just replacing them with a similar like I'm not saying Tyler Scott is better than Alex, Alex Pierce, or, but like they're getting as much or more production. Right. So, you know, that's how you can have nine guys go to the league and have seniors that meant a lot graduate and 
is because you're like, yes, this guy has not shown it in the 12 games or 13 games that everybody watches, and that's because he's had other really good players ahead of him. But, like, we know that he can do it. Right. He just needs the needs the opportunity. We're, we see it every day. If a guy got hurt, he would have been fine. Right. I, I just – Mike Brown, given the state of that receiver room when they hired him, given the fact that everybody wanted somebody with ties to the program or somebody with, you know, this or that or, you know, the, the, the fans get caught up in a lot of that stuff at times. Luke Fickle went out and hired what he thought was the best guy for the job, and uh, I'll be damned if that guy hasn't been incredible. And when you talk to those wide receivers, they all talk about how much Mike Brown has helped them on and off the field. And remember, I think it's important to remind people of this. Mike Brown did something very few players have ever done. You know what that is, Dave? Uh, Played in the NFL. Uh, that too. But in his first two years of college, he realized he basically wasn't going to be able to play quarterback. Here's a quarterback coming out. They had a quarterback, the Liberty, right? I think so. They had a quarterback that was really good, and he wasn't going to get to play quarterback. So he said, okay, while this guy's the quarterback, I'm going to go play wide receiver. And he was an All-American at the FBS level at wide receiver. And then the quarterback graduated, he moved to quarterback and he became an All-American at a court at quarterback. All-American at two positions is uh I don't care if it's the FBS level, I don't care if it's NAIA, <laughs> I don't care if it's a rec league. <laughs> you, you become an All-American at two positions. There's something special about you. And then you go to the NFL and you play 3-4 years with the Jacksonville Jaguars like I think that guy, like we talk a lot about Kerry Cones and Gino Gadouli and Mike Cummings because of his offense, you know, the offensive line and how important that is. And Walt coming back and Mike Tressel is defensive coordinator and how good Colin Hitchler has done with the safeties. And I think Mike Brown has earned his way into that conversation because that wide receiver room is outstanding, outstanding. Yeah. And he has helped not only develop, but he's, he's, been one of the lead recruiters on most of these guys he's built that room uh with his own sweat equity and they are as good as any unit on the team if not the best unit on this team right now so i wanted to get that get that in there um jock g off yes there is uh a reason fick didn't recruit ivan and it wasn't because he didn't think he was talented. It was because they were looking to get longer and 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 bigger at the linebacker spots back in 2019. Um, you had Perry Young and Jarrell White, uh, both in the building at that time. I, I think the thought was we want to um, to evolve and be a little bit more uh caught up in maybe some of the things that NFL teams get caught up in right like we're going to talk about Ivan Pace and in, in the NFL uh here over the next couple years and and whether he's going to make it or be a draft pick or be a fit or whatever the case may be um 
I think they would probably tell you right now they'd like a mulligan on that, Dave. Would you agree? I mean, they they got him. So they got him. He's here now, but I'm <laughs> guessing they would have enjoyed having him on the past three teams as well, don't you? Oh, for sure. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I think, you know, sometimes you get caught up in that stuff to say, and that it wasn't just because of Ivan. It was just the general, like, when you looked at that linebacker room, it didn't overall, like, and, and the play was really good because Marcus Freeman was a phenomenal coach. But I think they wanted a different type of linebacker at that point in time. And so they went in a different direction. I believe they offered him a chance to walk on. Um, Miami came in late with an offer. He took that offer, as he should. You know, it, you get a chance to have somebody pay for your college. You allow somebody to pay for your college. Uh, Ivan matured at Miami, sure. What's to say wouldn't have matured more here? Look what happened the minute he got with Brady Collins and went from 260 to 230, like, it's very much in the same vein as when Fick and them got here and what they initially wanted with the receiver room. Sure. Big, and then, yeah. and, you know, big 10 type receivers. Yeah. And then they realized that like in this league, that's not, you know, you got to have more speed and being six, three, isn't as important if you're not fast. Right. Well, and they just, let's be honest with each other. They got kind of a bit of fortune there because it's not like Ohio produces a lot of 429 guys. No. They they just happened to run into a couple 429 guys that had been best friends since they were like eight years old. Yeah. Like, <laughs> And if they were any bigger, they probably wouldn't be at UC at that point in time. At that point in time? Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Oh, we got a new member. There we go. Seem unpleasant. Is that is this Aaron? <laughs> Aaron, thanks. Thanks for your membership. <laughs> Dave, that might be the funniest thing you've said in like a month. That was you know, fucking outstanding. I'm, I'm good for I'm good for I'm good for one funny a month. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think they would I think they would tell you in a moment of you know truth that like yeah we probably we probably should have taken a chance on Ivan uh, out of high school, but we had our reasons and. He had a lot of success in Miami, and now he's here and also having a lot of success. For sure. So I, I just wanted to get to that. Like, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, building star power is one of the most important things because when we talk about Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, you know what they have every year? Stars. Now – Maybe they are still on a different level where they have like first round draft pick stars every year. But if you're producing college stars, which is really the only thing that is your like actual goal, you're going to be in a very good place to do what they want to do. 
every year, which is play for championships. We have right now, maybe it's Davis Bren, maybe it's Tanner Mordecai. Tyler Scott is a finalist for AAC Offensive Player of the Year. Maybe it's Ben Bryant. Tyler Scott is in that conversation. And Ivan Pace right now is the runaway defensive player of the year in this conference. I mean, the can you name another defensive player in the conference <laughs> that's not on UC? Jackson Player's gone, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, basketball. Practice started yesterday. Can I can I say something real quick about basketball practice? Sure. Those practice uniforms are easily the ugliest things I've ever seen. They don't look bad in person. I mean, granted, they're practice uniforms. Who cares? But man, right. them ain't it. They're fine in person. <laughs> they're fine. The one picture was bad because it did look like he had a fanny pack on. I just, I don't, yeah, I don't know. But whatever, they're practice uniforms. You know what they, I mean, you know what they, they're kind of, mod, like what they look like is they look like the 96 era shorts. A little like bit. Danny, the Danny Ford said. The era. bar that came down and then across yeah. the thigh. Yeah. Yeah. They look kind of like that. A little bit, a little bit. Um, I also think. It is not a great design for where we're at now and how basketball players are wearing their shorts. Yeah, back to the short, short days. Back to the short, short days. Back, like I don't think those are a great design for the uh, very tight-fitting, uh, <laughs> thigh-high shorts. Yeah. Um, I didn't. John was at practice. Uh, Chad was able to give Rostine a few jabs today. John was at practice this morning. I was at practice this afternoon, so I didn't. I didn't see John today. Um, unfortunately, I was there at practice today. Uh, the first three days of practice are what Wes Miller deems, uh, defensive boot camp, where they literally only practice defense for three, three days. Um, so I didn't see a whole lot today. I, I did see something, Dave, that... We knew, I saw in the summer at watching open gyms, this team has the length that can make you a good team. That's, in college basketball anymore, if you don't have length, especially on the wings, two, three, four, you know, the when people talk about positionless basketball, what they're saying is the two, three, four is all kind of becoming the same thing. They can all switch and guard the same guy. They can switch and guard the same guy. They can all score in, in, in different ways. Um, seeing that team on the floor, when thinking about last year's team at the same time, because I got to see the same, you know, three-day defensive right. boot camp when, when they got here, is I said it to Justin um, as we were sitting there. I was like, the length, the difference in length and athleticism is staggering. That's what I mean. That's what we talked about in the offseason before we had a roster. We were like, right, this team has to get more athletic and longer and have more guys with quote unquote traits. Right. Like that's that was the that was the biggest knock on the team last year, and it was 
you know, it, it was, clearly it was what they had to fix going into the offseason. Um, I, I heard a lot of great things about Jeremiah Davenport and his approach this summer and how he's kind of started to mature and 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 own where he's at and and what this is about, not just um I think when you're young, part of being young is you're just a guy on the team, right? Like you're going to still do what you do outside of basketball. You're going to show up for practice. You're going to practice. You're going to do, you know, do your best in games. But when you're a, a fourth year guy or, you know, now with COVID, the fifth year, six year guy, like the responsibility is different. The, the burden of your actions are different. And it sounds like Jeremiah had a great offseason. Um, we'll see how that translates. But it sounds like his mind is in, you know, the right place. It sounds like this is a team that over the summer uh, has has gotten along really well on the back of you had seven guys returning that, that had time together and experience together. It's a lot of good dudes. And it went pretty smoothly in welcoming in the new guys Landers had some interesting stuff to say today in his his press conference, and he's going to be. Is that part of the sixty minute pregame or preseason press conference that they did today? Well, it wasn't sixty minutes. They had like fifteen minutes of dead air before West came on, and then there was a gap before Dollar came on, and a gap before the players came. Okay, because I just saw it on YouTube, and it said like fifty nine minutes. I haven't gotten a chance to watch it, but is that he he talked like to the media, not just like. Us, you know, on the court or whatever. No, it was a full, it was in the media room for yeah. basketball. It was a full press conference. It was just, we were in there from 2.30 to 3.30 or 2.15 yeah. to 3.15. And the camera was just running the entire time. Got it. Um, but Landers had some interesting stuff to talk about. Like when he, you know, he talked about, uh, it's there's a, a video of it on the message board. Um, UC has it up on the Go Bearcats YouTube. Uh, I had to come home right after practice and kind of eat dinner and, and get ready for this. So I haven't uploaded it yet. Um, I'll see if I can upload it tonight before I go to bed. Um, but Landers was talking about like last year at Memphis, allowing negative energy to kind of work its way into his, his mental state. Because of, you know, what we thought, everybody thought, and what's going on down there isn't, isn't good. Because you brought in, you know, Amani Bates and Jalen Duran, and it kind of pushed the old guy, the older guys that had been down there earning their keep. Um, it pushed them back down the scale a little bit in terms of their usage and, and how they played. And it was, I thought it was enlightening to hear him acknowledge that and say, like, look, last year was I could have been better at that, but there was a lot of shit going around that allowed that negative thinking to get into my head. Now, you better win, or else guess what happens? Those negative thoughts are inevitable. He also said something I knew, but I didn't know if it was ever going to become something that was public. They asked him about Justin asked him about why he picked Cincinnati. And he said his relationship with Wes Miller, his relationship with Chad Dollar, and advice from Larry Brown. 
Wes Miller and Larry Brown are very close. The North Carolina connection. Right. Um, Larry has been a mentor to Wes. But when Cincinnati became heavily involved, Landers sought out Larry Brown. And Larry Brown had nothing but glowing reviews for Wes Miller in Cincinnati. And that was as things were kind of roller coastering in Landers and Ali's recruitment, Larry Brown being in his ear telling him, you know, Wes is going to do right by you. He's going to take care of you. He's a guy you want to play for. Um, that actually played a huge part in Landers and Ali. And it, it brings me to uh, uh, something that I'm, we're a year, a year and a half almost in now with Wes. I don't know that there's anybody more connected in basketball. Like, I'm sure there is. It's hyperbole to an extent. Yes. But every situation. He's trying to make a point that, like, he knows a couple people. Everybody. He knows every. It feels like everybody. And has a good relationship with everybody that talks him up and talks about how he handles situations and how he handles kids. It's, It's fascinating. Because it goes from. The very, very, very tippy-top reaches of the game, guys like Roy Williams and Larry Brown, to, like, guys he, like, played against in the NEPSAC in, like, you know, 2002. Like, oh, yeah, that, I played against that guy when he was at Putnam Science Academy, you know, and, like, you know. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's, it's, you know, we all talk about it, and it's, it's you can say it for every walk of life, is, like, you should just be a good person because you never know when somebody is going to, you know, need to talk about you in a good way and you don't right. want to have ruined the relationship. I mean, it goes back to the way that the football staff with the transfer portal now, even if you're recruiting against the big boys and you lose out on a guy, you know, and it hurts and you're pissed and you think you got done wrong. You can't have a certain attitude about it because you just never know. And with Wes, like, you just never know when some guy that you know but aren't necessarily tight with has a kid that you want to recruit or coaches a kid that you want to recruit and you just want to be able to know that that person is going to go like, yeah, I've I know Wes, he's a good dude. You should consider them. Like, he's he's of the right things. So it it pays to have connections, but it, it connections aren't good if or they don't matter if th- that they're not authentic. That connection isn't going to help you with what you're right. trying to do. Right. If they're not authentic. There's nothing you can do about that. But what we're learning with Wes is knows this high school coach, knows this AAU coach, knows, you know, this, this workout guy. Or like, you know, it's the, I've talked a little bit about this. It's the dynamic that they've found so successful with like Chad Dollar and Andre Morgan. They're from the same place, the same region. They recruit the same region. But they know different, you know, Chad Dollar's been around for a long time. His dad's a high school coaching legend in in Georgia. And the people he knows 
are a lot different than the people Andre Morgan knows. But guess what? Those people are all connected because they all, you know, Andre might know this workout guy. And this workout guy has a kid that's coached by somebody that Chad Dollar has a deep connection with. So now not only are you in tight with the workout guy, but you're in tight with the high school coach. And both of them know the AAU coach, or one of them knows the guy that runs the AAU program, and the other guy, the other one knows the guy that coaches the AAU program. And and when you're connecting the dots in recruiting, the more dots, the better the picture, right? Like, and and I think that's the goal with, you know, if they were ever to potentially hire somebody into a non uh staff role that would be maybe to tandem the Midwest with a guy like Mike Roberts. You would be looking for the same thing. How many dots can you connect when you're doing connect the dots to get the best picture? And that's kind of what they're they're attempting to do right now. So um <clears throat> talk to Chad Dollar a little bit uh, on his promotion, which uh, that's to me, that's really cool, Dave. That Chad Dollar was the, the outsider on the staff. Right. You know, when, when Wes came in, he hired Andre Morgan, he hired Mike Roberts. Those guys both worked at him at Greensboro. He's known Mike Roberts since since they were in prep school. He's known uh, Andre Morgan forever and, and has helped bring him along in his career. <clears throat> Chad Dollar was the guy he didn't. Like he hadn't worked with before. And and Wes talked about like Chad's got a unique voice. He, he's 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 got something that I didn't have in my previous staffs because of his experience, because of um what he's been through and what he's done. And and Dollar talked about how different it is being given a chance to be seen as a coach. Right, Because for a lot of these guys, African-Americans in basketball coaching, okay, go recruit. You're here to recruit. Like we'll handle, we'll handle the coaching. You handle the recruiting. Uh, And Wes has respected him and gave him the chance to have that voice, to be a part of something different. And I think we all assume because of Wes's relationship with Mike Roberts, that Mike Roberts would be when they named an associate head coach, it would be Mike Roberts. And Chad Dollar talked about when Wes called him into his office and promoted him. The first thing he thought of was, I don't want this to mess up the chemistry we have. So he went straight to Mike Roberts and was like, I'm not stepping on your toes. Like we're, we're still who we were yesterday, even with this promotion. I, I just think it's like, it, it, the energy and the 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 symmetry between the staff, I think, is really cool right now. And you don't get that a lot, man. You don't. No, because you got, you know, guys are working hard for the team, but they also have an eye on their careers. Right. And these guys are probably, you know, these assistants are probably no different, I'm sure. Who would be? Why I'm would sure, you be different? I'm sure some or all want to be head coaches or want to. Yeah be an, a lead assistant but like right now it seems like there's just a lot of cohesion 
in staff and their roles and what they're best at and kind of letting them do their thing and and building this year's team and also you know building future bearcat teams yeah and it's going to be really interesting as we get into year two to see if this team can start to take that jump because if this team can stay in the conversation for the tournament all year can hang on the bubble and and find a way in the momentum that builds with this potential recruiting class as they go into the big 12, like they could, they could find themselves on a serious, serious, like heater. Yeah. I mean, let's, I, I don't have any idea who's supposed to be good. Who's not supposed to be good in in all of college basketball, but like, let's be real. The non-conference schedule is four games. The conference is not going to be great outside of Houston. Like this team better be this team better be in position come February for the tournament. Or I'm go- or I think it will have been a disappointing season. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Like they have four four challenging what I would call four challenging games in the non-con and you know, outside of Houston, who's, who's, who's really good. Who's like, Oh yeah, that's a tournament Nobody. team. Right. Nobody. So why can't it be them? And if it's not them, then I would say like, I'm not saying it's, turn, it's tournament or bust. Like, no, I know what you're saying, but like February rolls around. You better be on bubble watch. You better be in bracketology. You better be, you know, in position to, if you're not already comfortably in, like, all right, we need some more wins, but, like, let's make a move and let's make it happen type shit. Right. Like, we need to go, you know, four and two over these last six to feel good to get in. Or, like, you know what I mean? Right. Don't don't put yourself in a position, like, at the end of February where, like, we're going to have to win six in a row. Or, or win the, you know, go to the, win the conference tournament. tournament. Right. Championship. Is Collier really visiting USC? I, I don't. He's. I don't know. I, I've heard he's in LA. It doesn't have anything to do with college as to why he's in LA, but maybe he stops by while he's out there. I don't know. It's. Uh, <laughs> it's been a wild one. Let's just let's just leave it at that. <laughs> um. I think next week will give us a better. Look at uh at a practice. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get to one or two next week before we do this show. Sure. Um, you just like like you said, I mean if you're if your sole focus is defense, yeah, there's there's just like with football, I mean there's installation for basketball. Right. I, I don't think you guys want to hear me really uh get too deep on uh, their one-two-two uh, late late game uh, press rotations or, and baseline yeah, out of bounds defense and uh, today there was some uh, some ball screen coverages. Oh, that's exciting uh, shit! When to ice? When not when, to ice? When to ice? Yeah. Um. A lot of uh, the, the funny thing is a lot of the time when when teams do like defense and basketball. Um, it's not even like, 
what you're doing as much as what you're saying. So it's a lot of like talking practice, like calling out right. this action, calling out that action, letting the guy that's defending the ball know what's happening. Because well, defense is, is reactionary. You're right. You're saying like, okay, if we get this look, this is how we're going to defend it. Or like Wes said something even today that like was interesting, like Samuel, bearcatjournal.com. Okay. <laughs> when Wednesday at four nineteen and thirty seven yeah. seconds. Um like the, the uh, Wes was like, look, we could be in this defense for four possessions, but never have to like do this thing I'm talking about. So every time down, we have to call it out so that all of us are on the same page, knowing if we see this, this is what we do. And this is how we load up to react to it. Because if, if we don't call it out, and there's three or four times in a row that they don't do the action that causes the call. Then somebody forgets, nobody calls it out, and they get a basket. Like, it's just, like, he's really good, man, at thinking about that level. Like, two or three steps ahead of just the basic, we're in our, you know, uh, man-to-man or we're in our baseline runner offense, or we're like, instead of just the, the standard stuff, there's a lot of different layers to it. And right. that's a lot of the stuff you get to watch today. Um, but it also helps give you a, a better understanding of like, when the season happens, when we're on this podcast talking about what went wrong you know, in a, in a, even in a win, like, okay, they won 83 to 79. Why was the other team able to get to 79? Mm-hmm. Well, these were the breakdowns. This is where, you know, maybe some things didn't go exactly as they wanted it to. Right. I do th- think this is going to be a significantly better defensive team, just length and athleticism alone. Um, got that team last year at times, man, they were so small. And, yeah. and not athletic. <laughs> small and unathletic is uh it's a rough way to win basketball games. Today. You don't cut down many nets with that formula. How's the team this year? Uh kind of small and unathletic. Oh. That's exciting. Oh. Well, can you shoot? No, no, not really. Not really. <laughs> so you're small, athletic, unathletic, and you don't shoot it that well. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, we're pretty good. Other than that, how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? Right. Um, all right. I don't I don't really have a ton else, do you? I don't think so. I, I think, you know. I think it's gonna be an interesting game Saturday night. Head down to the Holy Grail. Make sure you uh you find me. Say hello. Chop it up. I, I was hoping before the events of uh, the past week that, you know, Kelly obviously isn't uh, isn't able to drink right now. I was hoping she was going to be able to be there. And that way I could actually have a few beverages and not have to worry about driving home. But <laughs> I don't think that's going to be the case. One, she just got 96 hours of chemo. 
I don't think she's going to want to hang out at a bar for four hours because games are only four hours now. Yeah, she wants she wants to be home by herself. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> she hangs out with you enough. Uh, you'll be having your bachelor party. Uh, you can, you can. They do bachelor parties at the Holy Grail. Just saying. Um, the Monster Factory is really going to help some of these guys get ready for the season. Absolutely. As Wes talked about today, like we don't think about this as as fans, as you know, casuals, if you will. There's a lot of these guys that haven't had a real off season for like three years, right? Because of COVID and and transfers and you know all the things that have happened over the, since the end of the 2019 season. And there's not a single player on the roster that was here at the end of the 2019 season, right? No. Uh, Davenport and DeJulius, or Davenport and, and Mike like were here. Um, but for the most part, a lot of these guys haven't really had a full offseason to really, to really work. So having a full offseason together with most of these guys, like all here – like the only one that got here kind of late was Dan Skillings because it's high school uh, in Philadelphia. They're, they didn't graduate until the middle of June. Um, mostly everybody else has been here for a full off season. And I think that that time with, with Mike Rayfelt is going to be invaluable. So I agree, Holly. Good point. You've been a great addition to the chat, Holly since you've started joining us over the past couple weeks. I like great additions to the chat, Dave. They, they make the show easier on us when too. the chat is, is putting intelligent stuff. Like that's one of the things that makes the Bearcat journal message board so great. So we have a lot of great contributors on the message board that develop, a, a, a especially in comparison, you know what Tennessee message boards look like. Well, the, right now they're, they're great. they're great. Yeah. Well, you know what they've looked like for the past 15 years. <laughs> like we have a great message board community and that is carried over into the chat on these live shows. So uh, thank you everyone. Much appreciated. And uh, yes, Stephen, you've been a great addition to the chat as well. Um, <laughs> All right, let's get out of here. We'll have a lot more next week. I think next week's going to be a good week. We'll have a lot more next week. Hopefully. Get a, get a dub. Get a dub. See what happens. A lot to talk about. A lot to talk about. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We appreciate all of you. We'll see you next time. This is the BCJ Podcast presented by the Holy Grail right here on BearcatJournal.com.